Okay, so continuing on in 1 Peter. Today we are in 1 Peter 2. We've covered the first 10 verses. Covered chapter 1 and the first 10 verses. And Peter is writing to these uh, pilgrims, sojourners, the dispersion, and telling them who they are and what they are supposed to be doing. We have read that. We basically got through the part where he said last week that Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and they, being their persecutors, this is verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And then he tells them you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into your marvelous light. And once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. So they are God's people now. And they have inherited all of the privileges and the promises of Old Covenant Israel. And so that means they have work to do. Old Covenant Israel was a miserable failure. And they are not to be a miserable failure. They have work to do, and Peter is telling them the things they need to do. Now, they're living in a hostile world. There are people that hate Jesus, and they hate his people, and they do not try to hide that hatred. And so we are going to get into the area more than we have before of persecution. The persecution of the Christians. Um, so let's have, uh, Christ has uh, pronounced a blessing on people that persecute his people. So let's have that read. First Peter, I mean, Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, Joshua. You mean Christ is proclaimed a blessing on the people who are persecuted? Who are persecuted, right. Okay. <clears throat> Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say, All manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Jesus assumes that we're going to be persecuted just like Paul did when he says everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will face persecution now these people are going to be facing it they already have it's probably going to intensify and Peter is getting them ready for their persecution alright let's have today's passage read which is 1 Peter 2 verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Okay. In the first ten verses of this chapter, 
Peter has been explaining and explaining to them who they are and how they fit into God's plan. They have been informed of their true status. Now, they would never have known this if Peter hadn't told them where they fit in. And this is just a little bit of a sample of why we can't figure anything out apart from God's Word. These pilgrims, sojourners, these people that are the new Israel, they would not have been able to figure anything out about their situation if Peter hadn't told them. He spent the first chapter plus the first ten verses of the second chapter telling them who they are and how they fit into God's plan. So as some great theologians such as Voss have made the statement that apart from God's plan, Van Til said this too, apart from God's plan, you can't know anything right. You can know facts, but you can't know them truly unless you know how they fit into God's plan. God created the heavens and the earth. God sustains them. God is bringing everything to its predestinated end. All things are put here for the glory of God. All things are put here to serve God. And apart from God's plan, you, man, cannot figure anything out. So we have not every single detail of this plan, but we have enough of God's plan laid down for us in the scriptures that we generally know what's going on. And these people would be, if they didn't have Peter's guidance here, telling them who they were while they were being persecuted and things of that sort, they'd be in the dark. Just like anyone who tries to figure out what's going on apart from his plan are going to start in the dark, stay in the dark, and they're going to end up in the dark. So it's so important to realize how things fit into God's plan. Any comments on that? God has an eternal plan and he is bringing it to completion. Uh, yeah, Val? Uh, don't you think he's also appealing to Jewish people who, who don't realize what God's plan is? Because he compared, he says, you behave this way in front of the Gentiles. Yeah. All Christians. Jews they, had those, they had an idea of fulfilling the law yeah. uh, through words. And he's explained to them, this is what you really are. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it appears that the Jews had thought they had been cast off, if you read Romans 11, for good. So they have to be reminded that, no, you still fit into God's plan. <clears throat> And uh, you're going to have some rough times ahead, but in the end, um, the, you know, you're going to be coming back into the kingdom through Christ. So yeah, yeah, very definitely the Jews. They needed it. So Bill, who though is doing persecuting here uh, that Peter's addressing? 
Jewish um, leaders and the Judaizers that we're talking about here, or the, who Christ is going to stumbling block, or is it? Is, it's not a Roman persecution at this point, is it? I think it's both, and that'll become plainer as we go through this passage. Uh, it started out, yeah, as Jewish because you know, unless you become a Jew, you know, you filthy Gentiles can't come into the kingdom, and so they would be persecuting them there. But then we are also going to see that they had the Christians had the reputation of being terrible citizens. And so they were going to have Roman persecution too. So at the time that Peter's writing this, has that Roman persecution started as it begun? I believe so. Okay. Yeah, it was a big place. I mean, they weren't persecuted everywhere, but they were persecuted in plenty of places. Yeah. By the local authorities. They got their fair share, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, but it, it'll, I think it'll become plain as, as we go through here that it was Jews and Romans. Well, I think the, the best uh, commentary in terms of answering that question is the book of Acts. It's pretty clear in the book of Acts yeah. what's going on. And when, when the Romans did get involved, it was usually at the behest of the Jews, Yeah, at least up to that point. All right, now, in these verses, we go from what commentators call the imperative, excuse me, from the indicative to the imperative. What's the difference between indicative and imperative? You can tell me. Mike? Well, the indicative is stating a truth, stating a fact. Imperative is giving you a command. Okay. We go from Peter giving them their status, the facts, to giving them the imperative. This is what you've got to do because of the facts. Now, the first chapter plus the first ten verses of the second chapter concentrate. It's not, you know, it's not, you can't just totally divide them. But it leans fairly heavily on who they are. And why things are the way they are. And then beginning in verse 11, it starts leaning a little more heavily on, therefore, you need to be doing these things. They're not totally separate. You can't separate them. You can make a distinction. Um, basically imperative. I mean, basically um, indicative to basically imperative. Indicative being a statement of fact. Imperative doing this is what you must do. Okay, in these two verses. Okay, now, like I said, we're moving, we're moving into a theme of persecution. Let me, just making sure that one's my family, more people getting sick in my family. <laughs> All right, um, this, the verses that we've had read to us, 211, um, says, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And then in verse 12, it says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers. All right. So, they have their culture 
their environment, the people that they associate with, they speak against them as evil doers. Okay? And if we look over now in back, look down a few verses to verse 20. We see that what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, if you do good and suffer for it, you endure and you endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So, they, it looks like they have had a history of doing good and yet suffering for doing good, according to verse 20. And then when we look in verse 21, and it says, For this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Christ suffered, you're going to suffer. You are going to have persecution. And then if we go down to chapter 3, verse 9, Peter says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. On the contrary, bless for this you were called. Alright, they were getting, they were being reviled, reviled, and they were being, being treated with evil. And Paul says, you're called to this. You are called. The second time he's told them they were called to this. So they were receiving evil and they were being reviled. And then in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So, evidently they were suffering for righteousness sake. Very prominent theme. And then in verse 17, Peter says, It is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. They are suffering for doing good. And then in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, With respect to this, that is running in every uh, form of dissipation, it says, in respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same blood of flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So they are being maligned because they will not party with them. This is one reason the uh, your question. This is one reason people didn't like them. They wouldn't party with them. They were too good to be with them. Verse twelve, beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to you, comes upon you to test you. That is something strange was happening to you. A fiery trial is coming upon them. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. So they're being insulted, reviled, ridiculed because they will not party with them, socialize with them. And then finally in chapter 5, verse 10. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, whom has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. After you have suffered a little while. 
Take heart, Christian. It's not going to be forever. That's what he's telling them. So Peter is not hiding the fact from them that they're going to suffer in many ways. They're going to be hated. They're going to be maligned. And even in this verse 11, he says, you are going to be spoken against. They are going to speak evil of you. But there's certain ways through all this stuff you're supposed to act. Alright, in these two verses, Peter tells them their status, their sojourners and their exiles. They tell them what to be aware of. In this instance, they're to beware of the passions of the flesh or the lust of the flesh. They are to abstain from that. They are, Peter tells them their obligations to keep their conduct honorable. And their goal is so that the unbelievers will see their good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now he's telling them these four things. He's trying to build up their what? He's trying to give them a, they have had a false blank in the past. They need a Christian blank. I want to take a guess on Perspective. All those are right. I think you hit the nail on the head. A worldview, yes. Uh, all those other things are included too. But he is building up their worldview, telling them their status, what to be aware of, their obligations, and their goals. So this is the kind of world and life view that you are to have because things are going to get tough. Tougher. They're already tough, but they're going to get tougher. Now I want to pause here just for a second. and He's getting into ethics. This is to be your ethical behavior. And I'm going to look at this just for a minute because we're all going to run into this kind of garbage. Now, you can... You really have a choice of two ways, two things. You can build your ethics, your ethic, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. You can build that on God's Word. Or you can be autonomous. You can depend on my man's mind. Okay, now, um, we most people in this country, even Christians go by what they think is right or wrong and don't really pay any attention to what the Bible tells you. All right. Um, now, like I said, you can either go by God's Word or you can go by something that's not biblical, something that's non-revelational. God's Word is revelational. Anything outside of this word is not revelational. It doesn't come from God. The perfect example would be from a man named Immanuel Kant. And I bring him up, not because I think he's such a great man, but he's the most influential philosopher that we've had uh, since the biblical times. 
And his bottom line is that we do things because it's our duty. It's our duty to do that. But you know that. You know what's right and wrong apart from God's revelation. You've got it in you. You want to get the technical term is a priori synthetic ethic. You can do it. You have it built in you. You don't have to learn it from experience. You already know it. And you can figure things out on your own. That's the way it should be. I mean, before Adam fell, you know, you could you could depend on that. Even though he still was dependent on revelation, but now we can't figure out what's right or what's wrong, even though we have the work of the law written in our heart, because of the noetic effects of sin. We don't think right. So we are totally dependent on God's revelation now in determining what's right and what's wrong. Because our minds don't work right. The unbelieving philosophers, like Immanuel Kant, assume the mind works right. And that we can figure out right and wrong on our own apart from God's revelation. But the Bible clearly teaches our minds do not work right anymore since the fall. And that we are totally dependent upon God's word for our ethics trying to build any other ethics apart from his word, you're going to go wrong. Which is the example that I just told you a few minutes ago. So be aware of that. We all run into that. Uh, you can be taken in by that kind of stuff if you're not aware of it. But just be aware, if anybody makes any kind of ethical claim and can't back it up with God's word, he's wrong. All right, anybody have anything to add to that? Okay. Nobody's going to attack me on anything? <laughs> okay, back to your notes. He starts out by calling them beloved, which shows his pastoral, pastoral, P-A-S-T-O-R-A-L, concerns for them. He has a tender heart for them, calling them beloved. Then he acknowledges their status. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Know that you're in a hostile place, but it's temporary. That you're seeking a better country, and that this is going to come to an end one way or the other. It may be by you dying, but it's not going to last forever. And now I'm going to show you several things that you're supposed to be doing in this situation. You still have ethical obligations in this situation. And the end product is going to be surprising. First thing, he urges them to abstain from fleshly lust. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against the soul. And the idea here is to keep as much distance from the flesh as you can. Um, Elaine, will you look up for us Galatians 5, 16, and 17, please? 
The idea is to keep distance from the flesh and they need to realize that they're in a war. They're not only in a war against these persecutors, this persecuting world, but they're in a war against the flesh because he says very plainly, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You are in a war. Let's look at Galatians 5, 16, and 17. And Elaine, if you will read those two verses to us. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Okay. We have the flesh waging war against our soul and they keep us from doing the things you want to do. So even though you love God, you love His commandments and you want to please Him in all things, you still carry around the flesh. And the flesh is, I guess as Jay Adams would say, it wages guerrilla warfare against your soul. Right when you don't expect it, it's right there. So that's one thing that we have to do is wage war against the flesh. If you give in to the desires of the flesh and the world sees it, there goes your witness. may not be gone completely, but it harms it. All right, back to your notes. They still have the responsibility to witness. We live differently. We live by the Spirit We don't live by the desires of the flesh. We are to witness. People are to realize that Christians are different. We don't walk like they do. We walk differently. And these Christians are being closely watched by their persecutors. And so persecution is a very strategic time to bring people to Christ. When you're being persecuted and Peter is saying, instead of saying, whoa, it's me, this is terrible, look at that as an opportunity to follow Peter's instructions and bring people to Christ as an opportunity to bring people to Christ. Now, their persecutors speak evil against them. Now, they the, they had a lot of ammunition to speak against the people of God. In the early church, they were not considered desirable people. They were enemies of the state. They were enemies of culture. They were accused of cannibalism. Now, why would they be accused of cannibalism? Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper. They eat flesh and they drink blood. I mean, you know how things are taken out of context. What else would they have been accused of? Well, they hated Christians for saving the babies that they would put out to die because the culture said uh, the paterfamilias, the family, father, you know, he has control over everything that happened in the family. And they put that out, we want this one to die. And here these Christians come along and say it. Yeah. Okay. How about incest? 
Are they accused of incest? Oh, yeah. They meet together and call each other brothers and sisters. They were atheists, huh? Atheists, right. <clears throat> they would not bow the knee to Caesar. And therefore, they would not join the military force of any kind because they would, not because they were against fighting and all that, but because they would not bow the knee to Caesar. They would not, they would have to worship Caesar if they were in the military. And also for being antisocial, as we've already covered, they wouldn't run with them in the same flood of dissipation. So they were bad people. Christians were really terrible people in the eyes of the world. They did detestable things. So they were spoken evil against. Okay, now, in your notes here, Peter assumes rightly that the persecutors are going to be judged. They're going to be judged. Because he says at the end, in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil again, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So even though they were accused of terrible things, they were still responsible to do good works, good deeds. Now, it was important. Okay, so the recipients should have the same assumption that there is going to be a day of visitation. So they should have this in mind at this time when it seems that they are being judged. The Christians probably felt like they were being judged. They were being persecuted, even killed, spoken evil against, accused of things that they never would do. So they felt like they were being judged. If they didn't have God's word, if they didn't have Peter's letter, that's probably the way they would have died, feeling like they were being judged. However, remember from the former verses in this letter, that persecutors are in danger of being crushed to powder. God says they will be crushed to powder. He doesn't say when. They are in danger of destruction. And the behavior of the Christians that were being persecuted should be designed to rescue them from their danger. Our good works translated over to our time, should be calculated to rescue our persecutors in this country from the danger they're in. We are to calculate that because those that are outside the church, those who are outside the covenant, they are in danger of being destroyed at any time. And it's our business to rescue them from it. See that your good, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So our good behavior should be designed to rescue them from their danger. And this is the big kicker here. They, per they hate and they persecute us, but we are their only hope. Their only hope is us. They want us out of the picture. If we're out of the picture, there's no hope left for them. 
That's the mindset we're supposed to have when we are being mistreated, persecuted, or whatever. All right, that's all I have for today. Anybody have anything to add? So this uh, day of visitation would be any day of judgment. I mean, my notes in here say it's Christ coming again but what I think is, is talking directly to the people that are doing the persecuting, not Christ's second coming. He doesn't say, does he? No, they didn't say. need to, you know, it could, they be, could, today. could be that too. But. Yeah. He just says the day of visitation, which is usually a day of judgment. Yeah. And there's more than one judgment in the Bible. They're, yeah. they're judged. They you die, you judge on judgment day. The day you die. Yeah. Yeah. They don't realize that. They don't realize that every heartbeat they have could be the last one they have before they're judged. And um, we're their only hope. Mike, close us in prayer, please.